Today, we are discussing policy that literally is out of this world. In today's topic, we are discussing space policy and more specifically about the Space Force, the newest and sixth branch of the U.S. Armed Services. I have two guests with me today to share with you some of the key elements of how the Space Force has taken off in Congress and beyond. Let's begin. Patriotism, faith, national unity, education, fiscal responsibility, civility, the values that define America. Fascinating stories and talks from America-loving patriots dedicated to preserving freedom, opportunity, and justice. Welcome to the Friends and Fellow Citizens Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Friends and Fellow Citizens. I'm your host, Sherman Tylowski. We've got a couple of great guests joining us today talking about something that is literally about something that it's outside of this world, out of this world, space policy. That's right. We're going to be covering space policy, but more specifically on the United States Space Force, the newest branch to the U.S. Armed Forces. Before we get started, as a kind reminder, make sure you subscribe and share this podcast and episode with your friends and family so more people can enjoy amazing content every single week, Mondays released, available at 6 a.m. Eastern. So make sure you subscribe. And now I will be introducing our two guests today. My first guest is my former classmate and now friend, Nick Cartwright. Nick serves as the legislative liaison for the Space Force Association, the SFA. He recently assisted in creating Congressional Space Force Caucuses for the newest U.S. military branch in the U.S. House and Senate. Nick is a 2020 graduate of the Bush School of Government, where he received an MPSA degree concentrating in national security policy. Nick received a Bachelor of Science degree in political science and history from Abilene Christian University, where he graduated with honors. While an undergraduate student at ACU, Nick interned for Congressman Lamar Smith, who recently retired, by the way. Um, Congressman Lamar Smith was then chairman of the U.S. House Committee on Science, Space, and Technology. While at the Bush School, Nick interned for the U.S. House Committee on Science, Space, and Technology, working on space policy issues and heavily participated in drafting the American Space Commerce Free Enterprise Act of 2019, H.R. 3610. 3610. Check it out on congress.gov. And has made many valuable relationships with several members of Congress. Nick has worked on several congressional and state-level campaigns while in college. Nick has been accepted into several doctoral programs, and he will be continuing his education next fall. My second guest is Eric Sunby. Eric serves on the board of directors for the Space Force Association. He currently leads initiatives to create a Congressional Space Force Caucus and foster bipartisan support for the newest U.S. military branch. Amongst other projects outside of SFA, he established and helps run an international nonprofit which recovers stolen, valuable cultural art pieces and has taught aerospace sciences to students K-12 and has worked as an aide for a U.S. congressman and on a campaign for a Texas state representative. He holds a B.A. in economics from the University of Oklahoma and a Master of Science in Global Security from the University of Glasgow where he had a thesis that argued for the development of the Space Force and a graduate certificate in commercial space studies from the Florida Institute of Technology. Eric's professional interests lie in the uses and applications of space for defense and commercial purposes, with particular focus on strategic uses benefiting the United States. He enjoys living at his ranch in the Texas Hill Country with his two dogs, and is engaged to be married in January 2021. So Eric and Nick, welcome to Friends and Fellow Citizens. Thank you so much for being here today. Thanks, Sherman. Uh, glad to be here. Good hey, to thank you for having us. Good to talk to you again. I'm going to start off with you, Nick, on the United States Space Force. This is a new branch of the U.S. military. 
and maybe not a lot of people are very familiar with the functions of the Space Force. So could you walk through a bit of the background, the creation, and the functions of this new sixth branch of the U.S. military? Yeah, so uh, it was created last year in the uh, National Defense Authorization Act. Um, you know, it, it had kind of been in the pipeline for for uh, a long time before that, but it finally came into fruition last year during the NDAA, uh, National Defense Authorization Act. Um, before that, it was just functions of the U.S. Air Force, and those functions split off and became its own separate military branch. Um, and Eric uh, is going to speak on more of the minute functions uh, that they perform as well. Yeah. So, um, you know, with that, uh, it being established in uh, last December of 2019, um, before that, to give a little bit more background so people do understand, um, the Space Force was uh, nothing new uh, out of an idea. Um, they There had been... Uh, attempts at reorganizing our national security space uh, administration and management. Um, for instance, in, uh, I believe, 2000, 2001, there was a Rumsfeld Space Commission that focused on um, the management and organization of our national security space. And uh, I think that began in 1999. Um, it actually advocated for the reorganization of um, our space assets uh, in our uh, armed forces. Uh, there were some, and I believe Neil deGrasse Tyson was also one of them who who actually advocated that having a separate military service might be more effective. Again, in uh, the Allard Commission, uh, I believe around 2000, uh, 2008, um, was another commission in which uh, the Congress and the United States government uh, tried to uh, investigate the and, and assess uh, the possibility of organization and uh, change of management of our national security space. Um, also in 2017, uh, there were two representatives, Mike Rogers, a Republican from Alabama, and Jim Cooper, a Democrat from Tennessee, both of whom uh, created drafted some legislation that would have created a space core. Um, and, and so... I, I just like to let everybody know that this actually has a lot a lot of history behind it. It's not something that came about uh, so recently due to uh, President Trump's um, support behind uh, creating a new service. It has existed for some time. In regards to what the Space Force does, um, it, it predominantly, you know, a lot of people, when they saw it stand up, they heard satellites. And that's what everybody kept saying was that, well, they deal with satellites, and, and that is true. They do protect uh, national security space assets, satellites in space, um, in all you know areas of orbit. That could be uh, low Earth orbit, geosynchronous, geostationary, um, and, and others. But uh, these assets are for both monitoring the Earth's um, the Earth for various reasons: weather, um, military operations, reconnaissance, telecommunications, and our something that a lot of people have certainly heard, our global positioning system, our GPS. And so that historically has been one of the primary, um, well, I shouldn't say one of the primary, but the primary mission of space forces. Um, and it continues to be. However, I think that those functions are going to be changing rapidly within the next decade to two decades and probably even quicker than that. Um, and we're going to start seeing some some really interesting things happening uh, with what the Space Force is going to be doing in space. And we're obviously going to get into that, um, you know, later on here. Yeah, just like a lot of things in the government, it just takes a lot of time, right, with the bureaucracy and the support and the opposition is kind of all mixed together. Um, now let's bring the Space Force more into context with what both of you do. Um, Eric, I'll start off with you this time. Walk us through the purpose and the work of the association that you work for, the Space Force Association. Every military branch, generally there is a organization, a nonprofit entity that represents the interests of the individuals who work within those armed forces or that branch. And uh, you can look around. There's the Air Force Association. There's the Association of the U.S. Army. There's the Association of the U.S. Navy. There's the Naval League. Um the Marine Corps Association, so on and so forth. Uh, so 
obviously, you know, we believed that it was uh, just natural for the Space Force Association to stand up, um, especially to be an advocate for the new branch. You know, the new branch, there's a lot of people in uh, just in general, in the public at large um, and some prominent individuals who don't really understand, one, what the Space Force does, but why it exists. And that's a lot of um, that's a lot of uphill battle that we're going to have to be dealing with. And so we thought that, you know, all we want to do is, is be an advocate for those individuals that work in the Space Force and to help um, the Space Force in any way uh, so it can carry out its mission and carry out its mission effectively. So really what we do to summarize it is that we focus on uh, representing those individuals, those space professionals. They don't have a specific title yet. You know, we've heard some some titles come out like Sentinel or Vanguard, and it's going to be interesting to see what ends up being the finalized title. Um, but we're here to represent them. We're here to to help the Space Force in whatever way possible, if that is educational outreach to the general public or to our congressional members um, and to the executive offices uh, as well. That is what we're here to do. And I think that, you know, as a young and small organization, I think we've been carrying out that mission effectively so far. Great. And uh, Nick, did you want to add anything to that? Yeah, I can talk a little bit about what I do, kind of how I got involved with this. Um, so Eric and I are sitting together recording this podcast. That's because we're from the same hometown outside of San Antonio. We actually uh, went to high school together and we met in junior ROTC about 10 or 11 years ago. And we've just remained in touch all this time. So I, Eric asked me to help him uh, do some legislative work for the Space Force Association. And our primary task was to create the Space Force Caucus in the U.S. Senate. Uh, and we did that um, way ahead of schedule. So after that, we started working in the House, uh, U.S. House representatives, uh, to do the same, same thing. And we accomplished that way ahead of schedule as well. So now we just maintain those relationships uh, with those members of Congress and senators. And so what I do is I act as a liaison between the Space Force Association and the different members of Congress uh, and staffers that we work with on both the House and the Senate. And then we connect also with the uh, top brass of the U.S. Space Force. So we act as a channel uh, between both. Uh, different entities. So that's what we do. And he does a very good job at it. I mean, you know, one of the things that he focuses on is, is uh, making sure that, that our congressional members have, uh, that they're educated, that they hear all views, all sides. You know, that's one thing is some people have, have looked at the Space Force Association and Space Force Caucus, and they thought that they were very tied. And that's not necessarily true. The caucus is its, its own independent entity. We have no control over members of Congress or or a caucus. Uh, we simply just offer them educational material background on, on some of the things that are affecting the Space Force, um, you know, as it is as, as it is in its infancy. Um, I, you know, that's what we're here for is to just be a strong advocate for them and, and help them with anything they need, particularly when it comes to uh, congressional politics. Well, I think what you guys do are is just so important. Uh, I, as a congressional intern myself last year, I can tell you how important it is to have forums and organizations that support particular causes. It really brings people from both sides of the aisle together on certain issues depends on the caucus but i think something like this is really valuable and you mentioned the educational aspect to it i think it's also going to be incredibly important for staffers and for members of the general public to learn what their members of congress are doing on space policy and that leads me now to our second grand topic on space policy issues the first I want to focus on is now on military space operations. We hear about other countries getting involved in this new domain of space policy and space operations. Uh, so, Eric, walk us through some of the top issues that you are dealing with with regards to military space operations. Sure. So, um, you know, that that 
that's a really good point where you brought up that many other countries are getting involved in this. Um, just to let you know your your listeners know, um, we do have the only separate individual branch focused on space uh, in in the world right now. Um, however, we weren't the first. Uh, the Russian Federation had their own space forces that was a separate branch from their other military branches. It has been done before. I think that the way that we're doing it is the most innovative way. You know, not only not only has Russia had space forces, they one one fact is that they have dissolved those and moved them back together with, uh, I think, some strategic rocket troops and also the air forces. So they created the Russian Aerospace Force. Um, not and and there are other countries such as China that created the uh, Strategic Support Force which is a part of the People's Liberation Army. Every other branch in the Chinese military has to be a part of the People's Liberation uh, Army. It is part of their um, communist constitution. It's part of that line of thinking and how their their organization functions. Um, I think that it is really important to focus on how organizations function and how they are how they are set up because that is how you are going to be able to carry out effective operations. And so that comes to your, you know, what are these military space operations that we're doing? What are the big things that we're focusing on? Clearly, what has been um, of concern to the United States recently was the protection of its space assets and satellites. Um, When I say space assets, I truly mean satellites in general. Uh, So, you know, I'm going to say space assets assets from here on out. But, um, for those assets, how we protect them is uh, is extremely important. For instance, if someone were to try to, you know, an adversary were to try to knock out our GPS satellites, um, um, imagine the the havoc that that would wreak on our society. Uh, you know, you wouldn't be able to get Uber Eats, right? I mean, it, it, it would just destroy America. <laughs> but um, not only that, I mean, financial transactions all these other things that are that are tied to uh, our space assets um, that we use in our daily lives that we just don't see. Uh, and it's really important for us to protect those. Now, how we protect those, most of that is classified. And I think that's one of the difficulties with the Space Force is a vast majority of the things that it does is already classified and remains to be classified. It's really difficult to declassify things. So your public really doesn't know what you do, right? And I think that um, that there needs to be a little bit more transparency. I don't know how we would carry that out, but I think that it'll be interesting to see how that happens over the next few years. Um, but in terms of new innovative space operations. Um, you know, there, there, there was an article that came out not too long ago about uh, some nefarious maneuvers of a Russian satellite near our own. Um, Russia said that this was a, this was a, I, I believe they, they call it a refueling mission of another satellite in the area. Um, and the United States did not take it as such. And um, what we see there is, is, there have been tests by China, Russia, uh, with anti-satellite weaponry. Um, I cannot speak to if those tests were carried out in orbit or if they were carried out carried out from atmosphere to orbit. Um, but nevertheless, the very fact that some countries are ramping up their anti-satellite weaponry is a case for why we need to find more innovative ways to protect our space assets. So that is kind of what is happening right now as we speak. And there's a lot of interesting things that are going on in what does the future hold? Um, There are a lot of uh, amazing uh, people doing some awesome work uh, with, we call it blue water um, strategy, blue water thinking. That comes from the term that uh, navies in history are either blue water or brown water. And brown water means that they are closer to shore, obviously where you get brackish water from fresh and uh, seawater coming closer to the shoreline, mixing it. It doesn't look as blue as, you know, when you go out to uh, deeper depths. And so a brown water Navy is one that's generally sticks closer to shore. They don't have the capability to send, uh, you know, a fleet 
all the way across the earth. And blue water is one where you can do that. And so there are some thinkers that uh, that we kind of dubbed them blue water thinkers in, in space that are coming up and, and they're making some really interesting and innovative uh, strategies and, and, and ideas for what's going to happen in the next few decades. So I'm not going to get too much into that right now. I think we can go into that later, but um, that is going to play heavily into military space operations. I I wanted to follow up, I guess, on <clears throat> what Eric said about the uh, the threats that we're facing. You know, it is kind of difficult, right, to say on the one hand we have threats coming from the space domain, and as you mentioned, a lot of it is classified. Um, when it comes to what opposing powers are developing. Let's take China as an example. Um, Erica, is, without obviously going into the classified stuff, what do you think are some of the biggest threats, more specifically maybe on the technology side, that you find are particularly troublesome for U.S. domination in space? Sure. So one thing that I find, and this is going to I'm going to answer your question, but I'm also going to do just a little quick twist with it. Um, there's a lot of international competition um, that, that's popping up predominantly, obviously, you know, between China and the United States and her allies. Um, and one thing that we actually see is is different perspectives on space and and the various bodies uh, near Earth. That, I think, is where we differ the most. Um, for instance, and, and you know, <laughs> I hope I don't get sacrificed uh, if, if I do mess this up uh, <laughs> by your listeners. But um, there, there was an official within the Chinese National Space Agency. I think it was the deputy director. I could be completely wrong. But there was an official within the Chinese National Space Agency that uh, equated the moon, near-Earth uh, objects, and Mars to uh, the Dayu Islands. And if anybody has, you know, read up on the Senkaku Island and Dayu Island dispute between China and Japan, um, it is exactly what I just said. It is a dispute. Japan believes that they, you know, they call them the Senkaku Islands. That's their name in, in Japanese. That belongs to Japan. China calls it the Dayu Islands, and that belongs to China. Um, China has in the past and currently um, been very agitated with those islands. Um, they seem like they, you know, they're willing to be very forceful with them. And saying something like, you know, equating the moon near Earth objects and Mars to the Dayu Islands, um, when there's clearly a bitter dispute... Uh, is extremely concerning, particularly, you know, for me, at least. Uh, you know, when I see that, I get concerned with what are their intentions. Um, you know, I'm sure there are many scientists and engineers that are brilliant within China that would love to to cooperate with us uh, for the betterment of, uh, of all humankind. But um, frankly, you know, the government has other nefarious uh, intentions, and I don't think that they, that they would put the scientists and engineers' uh, intentions first. I think they would put their own strategic intentions first. Um, and, and it does seem to be that that's what they want to do. And they have, and that plays into exactly what you asked, the international competition for space technology. Um, so with China and the United States, uh, you know, definitely the United States has um, an upper hand. It has a, uh, a free market system that has allowed for entrepreneurship uh, and, and the rapid growth of new space companies. Uh, by the way, new space is kind of kind of a movement almost, but uh, it's filled with a bunch of new startups that are innovative and, and groundbreaking. Um, they're not necessarily your older uh, more traditional aerospace companies, but they they have made you know some pretty big leaps in in fairly short time. Uh, for instance, you see SpaceX. There's Blue Origin, but there's also smaller companies that focus on more nuanced uh, uh, technologies, um, as, such as, for instance, Astroscale. Uh, it's a startup out of Japan. They have a major office here in the United States, and they are trying to create technologies to clean up low Earth orbit. So. Um, I think that the United States and her allies does have a really good upper hand in technology. It has an environment that has built, uh, you know, an entrepreneurial mindset 
that I think um, is extremely beneficial. Now, when it comes to China and their space technology and, and Russia and their space technology, um, they, you know, Russia, for instance, has, you know, they have a lot of history and they have, have a lot of knowledge of space travel. Um, they, they have always been involved in space, uh, you know, from the very beginning in which we were in a heated, heated space race with them. And they have been extremely successful. Um, yes, they have used uh, the same rocket, um, general uh, rocket family um, since the beginning, but they have at least been fairly successful in, in their operations and they continue to do so. They continue to fund it and they continue to go. Um, innovating in Russia in, in my, and by the way, I want to preface all of the, the stuff that I'm about to say, this is my personal opinion. This is not necessarily the opinion of the space force association, the space force or the United States government. But, um, in my opinion, the way that Russia has been, um, has created what my, my old professor, Dr. Andy Aldrin, um, said there is a national space innovation system. Uh, there is a, there's something called a national innovation system, which is how a, a, a nation is essentially uh, built um, its, its economy to be innovative, right? And there is a national space innovation system in every country. Um, Russia's is, uh, in my opinion, antiquated. Um, they are not being, they're not able to catch up to to big players like Elon Musk or or Jeff Bezos, who have been able to uh, do some fairly interesting things. Particularly, of course, as as we have all seen, uh, return a, a rocket booster and and reuse it. Now, yes, there are you know that doesn't mean that they're the best thing since sliced bread. There are some other um, major competitors like ULA out there that are doing some amazing work as well, but. I do think that that Russia is uh, fairly behind. China, on the other hand, um, they understand that that is a strong suit of the United States, and they are willing to to change their economy or to to change their national space innovation system to be more innovative and to compete. And they are willing to do so, and they will do it, um, whether. You know, if we continue down the path that we have started on, um, or not, uh, we will we will see uh, what happens. But I, I guarantee you um, that China will will continue to uh, to be innovative. And uh, you know, I, I wouldn't say that they've caught up to us yet, but they're sprinting towards us. So uh, it, it's an interesting thing to watch, and it's an interesting thing to. Uh, to just see how this new space race is is uh, coming about. Well, that's really interesting, Eric. I was just thinking of the analogy of the second space race. It certainly is a different world of different dynamics and different power structures occurring. It's very different to the, I guess this is called the first one with the Soviet Union at the time. Um, one question I had was about protection of the space technology. I mean, you were mentioning about China and Russia. One of the big concerns that I have, and I think many people in this country have, is really protection of our technology. I really do think we are the you know, hallmark nation of this brand new technology. We cannot afford to lose it to uh, competitive or nefarious powers. Uh, is there anything uh, that you like to discuss about how we protect this technology? Because it seems like it's a multifaceted thing, isn't it? I mean, you have to protect the innovation part, maybe on the university research level. There's also, of course, there's the security of these facilities. Um, could you comment a bit about kind of the, the vision for protecting um, our space technology well into the future? Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, so, you know that that is something that NASA has uh, has conducted for for quite some time is is essentially an exclusion policy of of uh, Chinese nationals, um, particularly out of concern that that technology could be stolen and technology has been stolen. We have to be honest about that fact. Um, China has stolen U.S. technology, uh, reengineered it, and used it and tested it to essentially compete with our technology. 
And so that is something that we do need to be concerned about. This is a realistic situation where, you know, of course we would want to have peace. Of course we would want to, uh, to work with any countries, um, you know, around the world. Uh, and, and I believe that we should still engage diplomatically with, with China at every level. Um, but we do need to be realistic here that they have stolen some of our technology and they will continue to do so. They do not care. Um, and so that's something that we have. I think NASA has been somewhat effective at that. And remember, this is my opinion. Um, I believe, you know, the, the Space Force is doing very good work with that, as I did say. A lot of it is classified. Um, a lot of the work that is done with private uh, entities is actually very, very secure. A lot of the work that is done with our educational um, uh, entities are still secure. There are concerns, and I understand those concerns, and I believe that those concerns are being addressed uh, rapidly and effectively by both the Space Force, NASA, and just our national uh, space industry. Um I think that we need to pay very close attention to that. And I would propose, you know, to have to have a commission to just ensure that we do have um, security when it comes to our intellectual property. Not only that, but, you know, we generally operate in space in a coalition. We are not there by ourselves. We are there with many of our allies and, uh, you know, some of our closest allies, even uh, regarding some Space Force uh, operations, uh, including Australia and the United Kingdom, we need to continue to maintain those relationships and uh, work together to protect intellectual property, not only in the United States, but with also with our allies. Uh, because, like I said, we go to space with our allies. We never go to space without them. So uh, we need to also be very well aware that our allies do need uh, our assistance and we need theirs when it comes to protecting intellectual property uh, across the globe. I think it's really well said. As someone who studied intelligence and homeland security back at the Bush School, it was just really important to emphasize that cooperation, as you were just mentioning, with some allies, which I would argue we have not maybe worked as closely as before. I'm not saying that we've broken off relations or have um, made relations worse, but maybe it's just a, a news kind of thing where we don't see a lot of these um, areas of cooperation as much as we do, let's say, um, Australia, the United Kingdom. And I, and I personally, this is also my personal opinion, but I would love to see more cooperation with uh, some, many of our intelligence partners, including the other four members of the Five Eyes, Five Eyes being uh, the US, the UK, Canada, Australia, and New Zealand. I want to move on now to Another topic here, you mentioned NASA before, and this begs a question about the role of the Space Force with regards to space exploration, which, at least when I was a kid, I think for many people as well, when you think of space exploration, it's just such a cool concept and a cool area to go into. It seemed like half of the class, my classmates at the time, when I was a lot younger, wanted to be astronauts or wanted to be involved in something space-related. It really is an exciting areas. Uh, so Eric, what is the relationship between the SFA or the Space Force and NASA or NASA-related organizations? What areas of cooperation would you say are most important to know? Yeah, of course. So um, to preface that, uh, you know, one, one quick, really cool thing is uh, tomorrow, November 14th, uh, Colonel Michael Hopkins um, is going to be launching off in the first uh, operational crew uh, launch of uh, the SpaceX Dragon capsule. And he is going to be, I believe, in orbit, sworn into the uh, Space Force as, uh, as a colonel. So we will actually already have our first Space Force astronaut in orbit, uh, which is going to be really awesome and, and fun to watch. Um, to answer your question, uh, I, I want to point um, your listeners to a memorandum of understanding between uh, NASA and the Space Force that came out uh, very recently. So uh, they they signed on to this memorandum of understanding, and um, they they decided that there were some major cooperative areas that they wanted to focus on, such as um, deep deep space surveying. Um, so that that means that they're going to be looking far into deep space um, at objects, uh, 
signals, different things like that um, for various reasons, such as uh, planetary defense. And when I say planetary defense, I mean uh, the protection of our planet from something like a like an asteroid. They also uh, are, are interested in fostering capabilities uh, that uh, enable safe and sustained uh, near-Earth and, and cis-lunar operations. That includes communications, navigation, um, you know, servicing of, of space uh, assets, space structures, um, and uh, from manufacturing to, uh, to just operations in general. It's going to be really interesting there. Uh, they also want to work together on search and rescue. Uh, rec- and recovery operations for human spaceflight. Um, that's an interesting point in which I think has a lot of discussion of, well, if that's what they're um, that's what they're looking at, you know, is that just on Earth or is it off Earth? I've heard a lot of people ask me that question, and uh, you know, I think when this was written, they had the intention for uh, on Earth, but I can guarantee you, um, you know, the lines will be blurred uh, in the future. Uh, they also go into launch support. Um, uh, supply, ride share, you know, just different things like that. And I think that that was a really good basis for um, a, a memorandum of uh, understanding. I think it was a really good basis of a relationship that's going to continue far into the future. There has been some discussion of making NASA's Kennedy Space Center um, just one, you know, a section of the Cape Canaveral uh, currently Air Force Station. I think it's going to uh, end up becoming a Space Force base. Um in the coming future, and and that would be a complete space force uh, space force facility that goes again to your point that we just discussed about security. Um, the space force would be able to to obviously secure it uh, militarily, um, which might make it more secure than what NASA was doing. I'm not going to you know <laughs> get into that debate of should that be happening, which you know which should be should be running that, but I do think that could actually alleviate you know, some logistics uh, for NASA so they can carry out their mission even more effectively. But uh, at the end of the day, I think that that relationship is going to be very interesting. Um, There's a lot of theories about what's going to happen with the Space Force far in the future. I, you know, this is both my opinion and it's also um, my hope is that the Space Force will become um, a, a... an entity that conducts uh, peaceful space exploration and and security. And um, that is me thinking very, very long term. Um, hopefully my great grandchildren will get to see that. But uh, I, I do think that that's possible. And if anybody says that um, having a military service do that is bad, I think is never read a history book. Yeah, I, th- I think uh, I agree with you, Eric. And when you think about the developments of technology, you think about the mandates that we are given as the American people, you know, be able not only to expand on technology and space exploration, it also seems like we are also going to affirm American values. You know, it's just because it's uh, it's the domain of space doesn't mean that, um, you know, other rival countries can just cl- uh, claim planets or claim uh, areas of space. I mean, there's a whole, probably a whole other discussion when it comes down to international law on space. And I think that that's going to be on the radar for a lot of lawyers out there and a lot of people maybe working on international legislation. Maybe the United Nations will take on it. I don't know, but um, I just want to put it out there. Um, I want to now move on up to our kind of a really wrapping all this. You, know, you You've talked a lot about um, all of these policies and these areas that you're working on. And I want to now ask Nick about the efforts that the SFA is taking to bring this to the representatives of the United States, which I think is such a significant development. And I'm really, I'm really glad that this is now coming forth as we progress through on the, in the early stages of the Space Force. So Nick, can you... Uh, walk us through some of those congressional efforts that uh, you and Eric have been working on, um, but also uh, talk a bit about uh, some of the responses and the reactions that you've gotten as you've continued your work on behalf of uh, SFA. Yeah, sure, uh, definitely. Um, I'll I'll speak on that, uh, but I wanted to touch on an earlier point. Uh, about space exploration real quick, and then I'll get into the legislative stuff. Um, I th- 
regarding space exploration, uh, one of the huge advances we had recently was when NASA, you know, the OSIRIS-REx spacecraft successfully got a sample of the asteroid Bennu. Uh, that was just a huge, huge leap forward for both NASA and the space community as well. So, um, you know, we were paying close attention to that. And in 2023, we'll be able to read those samples. But um, now onto the question you you asked me um, regarding our efforts in the House and the Senate. We started in the Senate first. Um, the ball had already sort of been rolling with uh, one of the U.S. senators we were working with with uh, Senator Cory Gardner uh, of Colorado. Uh, so we met with him uh, by phone, of course, to get that off the ground. And then we worked with his top staffers uh, after that to get the Space Force started. Uh, the caucus formed. They, of course, had to file the paperwork. Uh, but what we did on our end was we got the senators to, together. Uh, we said, how about Senator so-and-so, Senator so-and-so, and said, okay, yeah, I've worked with them before. Okay, yeah, let's get them together. Let's see if we can get co-chairs. And we wanted this to be as bipartisan as we could could get it. We didn't want this to be a, a Democratic effort or a Republican effort solely. We wanted this to be as uh, bipartisan as we could. So we have two uh, Republicans, two Democrats, uh, which, is, which is great uh, that they were able to come together uh, like that. Uh, then... Moving on to the House, we, we did the same thing. We uh, partnered with several members of Congress, got them together. A lot of, the mem- a lot of them were members that I had worked with last year on uh, the Science, Space, and Technology Committee. So I utilized some of the relationships I had made last year, which was a huge help, uh, I think, because, you know, it gives some clout. You know, I'm one of you. I worked in the house. That's just how it works. As you as you know, it's a very, you know, it's a very tight knit community. So I used a lot of the relationships I I made on the science committee, and that really helped us get a lot of co chairs together. It uh, of course the the lead chair is uh, Congressman Doug Lamborn, uh, who represents Colorado Springs. So we've been working closely with his staff members and then several other members of Congress. Uh, a uh, few from Texas, but really all around, and a good bipartisan support for this, which is which is great if you can get anything bipartisan now nowadays. But we've had you know a lot of a warm reception to it. Um, we've we've been able to get pretty far uh, in this. So now that the caucuses are created, um, we just still meet with these members and senators uh, and give them any kind of resources that they need, anything that we can help do on our end is 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 what we're here for so eric and i work with uh our colleagues in the space force association to get whatever representative or senator uh if a bit of information they need um and we've we've been doing that over the last several months so that's what we do and that's what we've been working on with uh the space force caucuses this is the first time a new uh military caucus has been created since after world war ii with the uh, air force caucus so this is we're we're in a brand new territory trying to you know explore ourselves so it's it's been really fun because this hasn't really been done in a very long time sure and a question about the caucus itself now each caucus is different there's hundreds of caucuses some are inactive some are really really prominent uh, but uh, each caucus has a different format. Some are more of just like a membership thing where the member of Congress can say, I'm signing on to such and such. While others are a bit more formal. You know, they have meetings, they have at least staff meetings and um, member meetings and things like that. How do you see the format of the caucus as you welcome new Congress in, as you expand with more members, uh, as the Space Force grows? Uh, what is the... Um, intended or f- visionary format you see uh, for the uh, for this particular caucus in Congress. The House caucus is brand new. It's less than a month old since the, the 
paperwork was approved uh, by by uh, the House Administration uh, Committee. So you know, of course, with the election going on, I don't think it's uh, it's been it's been fairly dormant, of course, as many other caucuses have been because of the election. Um, I, I see it really picking up uh, at the start of the new Congress. Uh, but yes, this, of course, as you know, but your listeners may not, that a caucus has no legal authority, right? So all legislation in Congress forms out of committees. So each piece of legislation has to be sponsored by a committee, so this caucus has no authority to draft legislation. It's more of a group of like-minded uh, representatives. I think we're we're up to twenty members uh, of Congress on the uh, House uh, Space Force Caucus right now, which is great. Uh, that's a really really solid number of representatives. Uh, most caucuses have three or four members that this all are all into the same thing. But this this caucus will be more uh it'll have more functions than the house whiskey caucus or the house you know caucus the people that like certain types of music they're all out there but certain caucuses mainly the armed force armed forces caucuses do more uh it's where these members can come together uh and really discuss legislative uh ideas policy ideas that they can take back to their uh, respective committees uh, that can draft the legislation. It's really for them to come together, talk about Space Force ideas. Uh, they can bring in, you know, members of the Space Force itself. They can bring us in uh, if, if they need us to clarify policy matters for them. But it's, it's, it's growing more and more by the day, especially with the election being over and a new Congress starting. I think it'll just blossom uh, next year. Uh, one final question, Nick, before I get to the uh, kind of the wrap up sort of uh, question that I usually ask um, our guests uh, at the end of the episode. Um, Nick, in the bio, um, I mentioned the American Space Commerce Free Enterprise Act of 2019, H.R. 3610. Um, can you talk about what that legislation was? I think that's really cool that you got to be a part of that in the actual drafting and working with the staff. So I just want to give you a chance to explain uh, what that legislation uh, is and uh, what it would do if passed. So what it is, is it, it mainly deals with, well, it's, it's multi, it's multifaceted, right? It's not just a single piece of legislation. It's more of a combination of a lot of different, space pieces. It's mostly focused on space commercialization. Uh, but the part I worked on well, last year as an intern, which was a really cool experience because most interns don't get to do policy work. Uh, but because of my background at the Bush School and you know coming with that education, uh, I got to do more legislative and policy work. So what I did was I researched what's called remote sensing. So is remote sensing satellites are satellites like Google Earth or military satellites that do Earth imagery. Um, they also do space imagery like other galaxies and the moon, but it's mostly Earth-centric uh, remote sensing. In uh, commercial remote sensing is what Google Earth uses uh, to view images of the Earth. So the 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 law that was on the books previously was from 1992 before you know the internet age and that mostly dealt with what's called the landsat uh program landsat satellites uh which have been around since the early 80s late 70s i believe and are still around i think it's on its eight, eight or ninth satellite now is their military uh, satellite imagery satellites so the only law on the books had to do with military satellites um it hadn't you know, left room for commercial space imagery satellites because in 1992, you know, who could have thought that we'd have Google Earth, right? So there wasn't any regulation of commercial remote sensing satellites uh, because the Landsat law was the only one on the books. So what I did was I researched the updated policy pieces of commercial remote sensing 
to update and to accommodate for current commercial satellites dealing with Earth imagery, which is mainly Google Earth. Um, Bing has one as well, but there are others, but that's the main one. So while well, we, I didn't mention Google by name in, in, the, in the bill, it's to accommodate those commercial satellites. Um, and I worked on this bill for six, six or eight weeks, poured my heart and soul into it. It was introduced into the, the committee, the bill died in committee, um, as we say, because I worked on the Republican minority and there is a Democratic majority. So it wasn't that it wasn't a good bill. It's just, you know, pork barrel spending and all that. There just wasn't enough earmarks for, for the Democratic members. So uh, it's still a proud achievement of mine legislatively, but, you know, it, it was not passed. Yeah, um, I think that's one of the, that's just part of the process, right? I mean, there's there's the, the inner working we have we have been flows that's of right. legislative that's work right. uh, in well, Congress. I, I think despite what had happened, I think you should be really proud. I remember you sharing uh, me uh, with sharing with me uh, your experiences when we were both on the hill at the same time last summer. Um, and I I, re- I hope that I had that kind of experience. Um, I had a great time myself, but uh, the, to be able to work on that is really remarkable. So I want to I just want to acknowledge that for sure. Thank uh, you. Well. Now let's kind of wrap things up a bit. I want to kind of reflect a bit on our discussion today. Um, I'll start with Eric this time. Um, Eric, in our podcast, we discuss a lot about Washington's principles. I've outlined six principles in this podcast to help us get better in terms of a society, in terms of a politics world. Um, We've seen everything from political polarization to you know, even some instances of anti-Americanism, and there's just a number of cracks, I think, in the system. I think these six principles can get us closer to that, and the six principles are patriotism, faith, national unity, education, fiscal responsibility, and civility. So based on our discussion today and your personal experience, um, what can the uh, U.S. government and the American people do to live out even just one or more of those values that I just mentioned? Yeah. Um, so I, I actually I checked out your podcast uh, when when Nick introduced me to it. So I, I, I saw that that was one of the uh, primary things that, that you really like to touch on um, at the end. And and thank one, I want to thank you for that, because I do think that we need to get back to some of these principles. And I think that um, uh, Americans, no matter their uh, political leanings, uh, need to look at these and, and understand that, uh, you know, we're Americans first and, and we need to put that before um, our our feelings of, of our neighbors. And um, I think that, uh, you know, I, I don't want to be that dude that constantly talks about space, but I'm actually going to tie it back in here in, in just a couple ways. Um, you know, I think that the government uh, in, in many many instances is, is generally trying to do uh, good. Um, now we've, we've all heard the, the phrase that the, the path to, to hell is, is paved in, in good intentions. Right. Um, but I think one way that they could at least push um, both industry and, and the American people to, to look beyond um, is, is by supporting um, space wholeheartedly putting it at one of the front um you know you know at the front of the of the so-called government bus i like to say there's you know there's so many things that that the government focuses on and a lot of a lot of things take the back seat right um but i think that if you could put space further to the front seat i think a lot of people are going to start to see how it can play into things like patriotism um, and education, but most importantly, I think that it could play international unity. I think that that's one of the most important things that we do need, um, that, you know, no matter who you vote for, no matter who you elect, uh, a, a, a politician isn't going to automatically unify people. They're going to have their political uh, opinions and persuasions. I think that if we put, uh, the development of space, um, at the forefront, I think that that won't even that that won't just give us a, a national unity that can give us even 
to an extent, some form of international unity. That does not mean that we're all going to sing Kumbaya and, and be best friends and never have a conflict. Um, but I think that it can, it can make us realize that we do live on a very small pale blue dot and we're all in this together. Um, and, and most importantly, our nation, uh, you know, we need, we need to have that mentality first and foremost for our nation, for our country. And I think that, that space is, is one way that we can do that. I think the government needs to, um, to focus on that. That doesn't necessarily mean it needs to spend a majority of its funding on it, but it does need to put it uh, at the forefront and it needs to, you know, we need to get back at, uh, to, to the times in which, um, you know, we inspire both our children and our adults, uh, people of all ages with, with what we're going to be doing in space uh, in, in the near future. Not, not the far future, but the near future. There will be people on the moon um, and there will be someone on Mars, hopefully by the time that, that uh, I'm, I'm an old man. And I think that, you know, by the time my great-grandchildren are old, um, there will be cities on, on other, uh, celestial bodies. So I think that, that we need to put that at the forefront, but, um, I'm going to turn it over to Nick to answer the, that question, if that's what you'd like. Um, yeah, I, I strongly definitely agree with what, what, uh, Eric said as well. Um, but, uh, I, I think space is something that, you know, while it tends to get political, the end goal is always the same, uh, to see what's out there beyond our earth, to make sure that, you know, everything is safe and secure, that our astronauts get to and fro, uh, the space station, uh, safely. So that's, that's really our solid objective is to make sure that we're, you know, really tight, have a firm grasp on our space, uh, issues. Um, and uh, something of a sense of national unity is when, uh, you know, earlier in, in the year in, in May, when the SpaceX uh, Dragon capsule, uh, you know, launched two astronauts to the space station and brought them back. That was a really sense of strong national unity. Uh, Eric and I tried to watch it together, but the launch got scrubbed uh, <laughs> the original date and it got moved multiple back multiple times. Multiple yeah. times. So, uh, we tried to watch it live, but I think that was a good sense of national unity um, that I haven't seen in, in a while, at least in at least in our field. Um, and that's what I can speak to on 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 that. Yeah, I'll never forget that. You know, watching live from uh, the comfort of my home, but also in 2019, of course, that marked 50 years since Neil Armstrong, the first man to walk on the moon, stepped foot on the moon, and. I was down in the National Mall with a crowd of uh, Americans just watching uh, the presentation uh, in our nation's capital. It was a really incredible experience, and I think that was that's been my mo- one of my most recent memories of being unified with my fellow citizens. And uh, did you get to see the Saturn V? I did. Yeah, projected onto the Washington Monument. That was one of the coolest things I've ever seen in my life. That's right. I, I was in a good position, I think. I was right in front of the castle, the Smithsonian Castle, so oh, I yeah. had a pretty good view. Um, but it was, it, it felt like a holiday. It really did. I think uh, I think yeah. it would be great to have a holiday to, to commemorate space exploration. I think that would be really great, especially great for I agree. Um, if, it, if it's on a weekday or something. I think it would be a great time for – uh, kids across the uh, nation and families to uh, visit NASA facilities to go to these science museums to learn about space. I think that'd be. Uh, I would propose that maybe maybe that'll be a, a bill that I put out on the. On the... Well, it's a huge achievement in human history. You know, straight up during the Cold War and during Vietnam, everybody kind of puts their arms and differences aside and came together as one. You know, globe as one planet. You know, we haven't had something like that happen yeah. in a very long time. And, and I agree. I mean, I saw the same stuff. I was at Johnson Space Center um, that night uh, and throughout the day. Um, and, and I saw I saw the same thing that, that you did. I mean, there there were many people, and I'm sure uh, this was the case in, in Washington as well, um, where you had many uh, people from other countries even showing up and waving American flags. And, and you know, that was... 
that was something that, you know, for a very short time during an extremely difficult uh, era uh, that everybody stopped and, and was able to, to, to watch and realize the gravity of what just happened, realized, you know, that, that we are no longer just a species that has, that has been on this earth. We've, we've left and we've gone somewhere else. And, you know, I think that uh, the biggest mistake, um, one of the biggest mistakes that, that our country has done was to not commit itself to continuing that endeavor and that we, that we pulled back from it. Um, you know, we realized that it was a, a thing of pride. Uh, now we're realizing it's not only a thing of pride, it's a thing of uh, national strategy. It's a thing of, uh, you know, our economy and, and also our future, uh, both on this planet and off uh, is going to depend obviously on, on space exploration. So I think that all of those tied together um, could be a unifying, uh, unifying force. Really well said, really well said. Um, I want to now uh, ask one quick final question. As you know, you know, the title friends and fellow citizens, the month, the first few words of, of George Washington's farewell address. Um, and I'm going to ask Nick first, and I'll ask Eric uh, to follow up. Um, Nick, um, in your throughout your life, um, has there ever been a founding father that you felt you know, was most interesting, or perhaps a personal favorite of yours? Uh, James Madison. I've always been a. I wouldn't call myself a constitutional scholar. I'd call myself a constitutional wonk, if you want to put it that way. I, I I love the wording of the Constitution. I guess you can throw Thomas Jefferson in there as well for the Declaration. I just love the way... What? <laughs> the, the, I, Eric and I he just, stole mine. He stole, he stole it. I take back, I take back Thomas Jefferson <laughs> and stick with James Madison. I, just, I, love, I love the way that the Constitution and the preamble uh, are written. Uh, you know, a lot of people will put that up to debate, whether you're a textualist or... You know, I don't want to get into that stuff, but, um, you know, James Madison, I, I think is an underrepresented founding father. Um, so I, I've always felt akin to him, uh, for his, his role in the founding, you know, I didn't, so that's my answer. <laughs> Sorry. Great. Uh, now Eric would like to speak. <laughs> All right. No, no, that's no problem. Uh, no, I mean, I, I agree uh, with him on that. Uh, James Madison is a, uh, um, how did you put it? A under, uh, under, under, under appreciated. Under appreciated. He's definitely an underappreciated uh, uh, figure and uh, founding father. Uh, my favorite founding father um, is is Thomas Jefferson. I uh, I have always felt that way. Um, you know his his dedi- dedication to um, our uh, values of our republic um, and to uh, the realization of um, that that the individual uh, matters um, that that you know we shouldn't have a tyranny of a king and we also shouldn't have a tyranny of a majority either. Um, he he embodied that uh, and and I think that um, you know. I think that we need to read a little bit more Thomas Jefferson sometimes, uh, along with some uh, some James Madison. I, th- I do <laughs> yes. think that we should be reading some of that uh, as well uh, in in our uh, for our younger generations, and and hopefully they'll be having a good civics education, um, you know, in the coming years. I do hope, but uh, that yes. would that that would be my answer to that question. If your listeners want to know more about the founding fathers, I highly recommend the HBO Ministry John Adams. Uh, it's yes. it's one of my favorites. I Classic. I recently rewatched it uh, about a month ago, uh, and it's it's one of the best. So, if your listeners want to look more into that, they should watch the HBO Ministry. I would say I, I see your question here. Um, we have it pulled up, and 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 you did ask what is your most interesting or favorite founding father. I will say interesting. Um, He's not my most favorite, no offense to him, uh, but I do find Alexander Hamilton to be an extremely interesting individual. Uh, just his his life um, is just, it's, it's, it's interesting to read. Uh, it's interesting to, to study. But nevertheless, 
it's hard to break down who's your who's most interesting. They were all very, very interesting. Don't tell Aaron Burr that. Yeah. Don't tell Aaron Burr that. I apologize to Aaron Burr and his uh, and his descendants. Um, that was of no offense to you, but <laughs> just kidding, Aaron Burr. <laughs> I, I think Alexander Hamilton created the was secretly the one who made the musical just so you can try to sway the Jefferson supporters like yourself, Eric. He, he didn't sway me. He didn't sway me. I'm an ardent Jefferson supporter. I'm an ardent Jeffersonian. So, um, and that's going to remain forever. <laughs> very, very good. Very good. Well, real quick, how can people learn more about the Space Force and the Space Force Association? You know, do uh, do look us up. We have a website. It's ussfa.org. You can uh, you know go on social media, follow us at Space Force Association um, on on Instagram, Facebook, and uh, and uh, Twitter. Uh, one last thing, and and LinkedIn. And one last thing that I do want to want to say is, uh, you know, if you're interested in learning more, if you're interested in becoming involved, or if you if you simply just want to know more about the Space Force in general. Um, we have some great educational uh, uh, programs and materials. We actually just created the Space Force Journal, which is an academic journal that's going to be publishing um, uh, short articles and long uh, journalistic article pieces. Um, and, you know, we're really excited about that. But nevertheless, you can go on our site. You can go on to, um, to a sign-up form, and there's actually the possibility of becoming a mentor or a mentee. If you're a mentor, generally, you have some sort of experience in space uh, operations. If you're a mentee, you could be new to it. You could be uh, wanting to go into it. We have that program, so uh, you know we can get the word out and get people involved. Gentlemen, I want to thank you both so much, and not just for being on uh, this episode today, sharing your expertise or your knowledge, but really just the work you're doing with the Space Force Association. Uh, as I emphasized before, I think this is important work, and there's no doubt that over time, as um, and my my feeling is this: over time, as the Space Force really becomes even a greater part of our politics and our culture, I think I would argue our, our civic religions, shall we say, you know, the kind of the, the customs and the values that are associated with it. I think you're, you're going to see more engagement. And I hope, I hope that's the case. And I think it's because of you know, people like yourself, um, Eric and yourself, Nick, and your team and all the members who are part of the caucus and as well as the American people who play a huge role in making this a success. So I want to thank you both for coming on this show today. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure, Sherman. Thanks. Thanks for the invite. Fantastic. I will link, leave the links in the uh, description below. So I will work with uh, Eric and Nick on that, but uh, I really appreciate it. I think people would want to know more about the uh, SFA and uh, more about the Space Force. So I really appreciate that. And that will wrap up our episode today. Again, make sure you subscribe and share this podcast and episode with your friends and family. Until next week, take care, have a great day and week, and I'll see you next time.